I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, a meta kicker, a podcast about podcasting. Specifically, we're going to be looking at the new afternoon daily podcast from the Washington Post called Post Reports. The obvious storyline around Post Reports it is, is that it is trying to take advantage of the momentum that the New York Times has enjoyed with the daily, its daily podcast, which has become a sort of phenomenon. Um, it's re- been reported that the daily brings in more than $2 million in ad revenue, which is sort of amazing. It's become such a pop cultural phenomenon that has been parodied on Saturday Night Live. So now comes the Washington Post with its podcast, which raises all kinds of interesting questions, including how does a place like the Post, which is enormous in its own right, approach the podcasting world? Does it try to reinvent it? Does it try to sort of borrow the best of everybody else? Does it market its own stories versus looking at other people's stories? And then what does it mean to succeed in a market like this, which would seem saturated? I'm really happy to be joined by Martine Powers, who's the host of Post Reports. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. You just you just finished today's uh, edition, right? Yeah. <laughs> I listened to it. So we're recording this on Wednesday. You, you post this at what four thirty? It goes kind of it goes live on the website on uh, at like five oh one. Okay. Um, for those people who haven't yet heard it yet, you sort of break it into three chunks. Um, today you led with Michael Cohen and his his court hearing. You followed that with um, a visit from the Google CEO to the Washington Post office, which came on top of his visit to committee and Congress. Yeah, and then you finished it with sort of a look at how Melania Trump isn't playing the normal rules of first ladyship when it comes to the sort of holiday season. So, how do you do? You think about this in blocks, and how do you define these blocks? The goal is to have three segments every episode. Um, and a part of this is kind of iterative, um, and we're still trying to figure out what works. But I think one thing that we're sort of settling on is that the first block is something um, a little bit newsier, kind of the, the thing that people would have seen um, bubble, bubbling up on Twitter and on TV screens um, during the day. And then the middle segment is often a little bit more thoughtful, um, something that has some meat to it. And then we have this thing at the end called One More Thing, and it, it's a short, usually like 90-second to three-minute story um, that's just something like an idea or something that sounds weird um, and has a cool story behind it. You know, a, a, a thought that someone here has been writing about and wanted to share and has a an audio-rich way of um, of talking about that idea. So... Uh, yeah, I, I began by talking about the daily, which probably really annoys you because you must get this <laughs> all the time. But but it does it, it is an interesting problem where you where the post is coming in to a daily journalism podcasting business that has become so dominated by this one by this one show in in at, at the New York Times. So when you guys were thinking about do we do we acknowledge that? Do we not not acknowledge that? I imagine the first decision you made was that. You not to go up against them in the morning? Was that intentional about the times, or was it more about how you thought about news consuming? You sort of described it as a problem, um, but I think it is very beneficial to have a really rich space. I'm glad you didn't um, say opportunity. That <laughs> would sure be like that would be like McKinsey like. It's not a problem. It's an opportunity. <laughs> That's funny, but like mm-hmm. you know, I 
I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts every day. Mm. I've done so for years. I'm like a huge podcast evangelist. I mm-hmm. listen to podcasts in the morning. I listen to, to podcasts when I leave work, when I'm cooking, when I'm you know, washing clothes, when I'm uh, you know, getting ready to go to sleep. And so it, in some ways, it feels really exciting to have finally gotten to a point where this isn't like a niche thing that we can mm-hmm. all kind of agree as an industry, like podcasts are really awesome and they're really important and they, you know, they are a big opportunity. And then when it comes to the specific timing of the afternoon, at least for me, I, I felt like we could fill in the gap of people who are just leaving work and who are like, I saw people tweeting about some crazy thing that happened during, during the day. I don't really understand what it was that, it, that just mm-hmm. went down and that we're going to be able to kind of catch you up to speed as you're you know, going home and, and reemerging from your workday. Um, but we can, all, we can also be other things. Um, and I think that having an evening podcast means that you don't have to end with stuff that is all like the world is on fire and everything is going insane. Um, I like that we can sort of start with the what's going on right now and move on to different kinds of stories. It's sort of transition you into your evening and thinking about thoughts that aren't just politics stories, that aren't just, um, you know, breaking news. Right. We just sort of decided uh, a while back, like, let's just do this. It seems like CJR having a podcast is a good idea. And we've sort of been (laughs) making it up as we go along. But is that part of the appeal of the whole medium? Is that that's what people are doing? Yes. Yes and no. I do think that there is like as I said, it, it is very much of an iterative process and that um, there is a lot of experimentation, which feels exciting. Um, but I also think that there's like a really long, rich history of very good radio storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I think that for us, it's like thinking about how to adapt things that have worked well for years, devices, you know, storytelling devices, narrative devices, how to adapt them to a place like the Post. And so I think that right now what we're finding is, even in terms of of who we have in our team and our backgrounds and what we're looking to do, um, it it feels like there's a nice mix of, of experimentation and excitement about doing stuff that sounds different and feels different, Mm -hmm. but also understanding like, you know, this is what it takes to make, you know, a good audio story, being able to execute that um, and uh, have those foundations to, to do something that we feel really proud of. Um, I think that's been really valuable. Let's talk about your background. You um, covered transportation for The Post as a reporter. You worked at Politico. And then you you hosted Can He Do That, the podcast for The Post. How long were you? How long did you do that? So I was hosting um, for five or six months. The regular host was on maternity leave, and okay. so I um, was filling in for her. So that was was that your first kind of official podcasting gig? Kind of, yeah. I um I'd done a lot more like behind the scenes stuff. I um I had this like podcast with my friends a couple years ago where I wasn't a voice on the podcast. I was just editing it. How I really got into audio stuff was um, a few years ago. I did this thing called the Transom Story Workshop, mm-hmm. um, which is this wonderful program that is out of um, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Um, that is the moth uh, people. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. The people who produce the the moth. Mm-hmm. Um, I had done that for a couple months. It's kind of like a mini grad school experience. And mm-hmm. then can he do that at the beginning of this year was the first time where um, I was lucky enough to have bosses that would lend me to the audio team um, for half the week. Yes. Yeah, so, that, so that was my first experience with hosting. But I think that's what's so cool about this podcasting boom is that, you know, you have you have institutions like The Post or The Times, which could feel very um, sort of set in their ways. And they're using podcasting to, you know, l- l- let people 
try new muscles or or just hone new skills. I think it's great. What do you think uh, accounts for the attraction of this medium, especially at a moment like this where there's we're, we're, on the one hand we're inundated, um, but on the other hand we're we're trying so hard to sort of make sense of what's going on in the world, and it seems so confusing and so befuddling. Is there something about the idea of having somebody in your ear that you think helps either soothe us or further the understanding in a way that written words don't? Yeah, I, I think it does have a lot to do with the fact that you're listening to a voice. I think that creates a level of intimacy mm-hmm. that is hard to find elsewhere. Um, you know, I can, I can read the same story in a print version and then, and then listen to an audio version of it. And I think that having that human connection, kind of talking directly to you in your ear as you're living your life, you know, going out and walking your dog or whatever and feeling like someone's right there talking to you. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And particularly for um, news organizations like The Post, I also think it's a transparency thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, when, when you think about like news anchors of like the 60s and 70s sort of having this like voice of God persona to how they delivered the news. I I feel like that just doesn't really work anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so much questioning about who's reporting what and whether things are actually true or not and whether things actually happened and which place is demonstrating bias and, and which accusations of bias are actually really unfounded. And I think that having really honest conversations that walk people through, like, this is how we know what we know. Like, this was the process that we took to report this story. This is how I first heard about this idea, and this is who I first went to, and this is what I heard them say, and now you can hear, listen to the tape of them saying that to me. I feel like that's really helpful in getting, you know, everyday people to understand how we make the news and, and why the news is significant and where we get the authority that we have to, to draw the conclusions that we do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there is a danger that, that readers get sort of whipsawed because on the one hand, they, you know, they listen to, for instance, post reporters on your show sort of talking through like oh, the stuff that you just said. They they read them on Twitter where there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of how the sausage is made that some kind sometimes gets surfaced on Twitter. But then they read this piece either in the paper or on the website that seems incredibly polished, incredibly sort of official and professional and and almost kind of aloof. And it's like, how do you square all those different personas? I almost think that Mm. we got to find a way for the final product to sort of incorporate more of this stuff that we're talking about. Because there's this weird, you you understand what I'm saying? There's a weird sort of like multiple personality issue that comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of the things that like gets me so excited and proud to just like work at the post is that you get to interact with these amazingly smart incredibly talented people in person and that yeah. it's really cool to to be able to like square the byline with the actual human persona yeah. um and being able to give more people the opportunity to do that is really exciting. Um, one thing I, I feel like I talk about a lot is that, you know, so, so I've been at the Post for two and a half years now, so um, I have a lot of friends here, and um, often if I'm 
if I'm walking to the bathroom, um, I will run into someone on the way there or outside the door and I'll be like, hey, how are you? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm like just finishing the story that I'm really excited about. And, and like, I've been working on it for so long and like it's finally going to get published. And, and then you start talking about this story and like hearing them talk about the story just standing outside the bathroom, at least for me, is often like more exciting, more moving, more interesting, more um, insightful sometimes than like even what ends up being the final product because you're just hearing this like organic excitement coming out of them. And I think that giving more people access to that is really exciting. So are people starting to lobby you now? (laughs) Even in terms of getting their stories on the the podcast? Um, Lobby is definitely not the word I would use. Uh, I think that (laughs) honestly, we're just like really excited and grateful that people have started to think about, oh, I, I, you know, in the process of reporting the story, like I actually have some audio that I took on my iPhone that's Uh not so bad. And like, I'd love to, you know, try to do something with you all. Um, So, so give me a, a quick sense of how the sausage gets made. You know, what time, how do you start planning for this? How do you, I mean, do you have a, um, do you have a whip list that goes out several days? I mean, do I do you know what's going to be on next Tuesday or Wednesday, or is it more you know spinning off the news? Yeah, it's it's a mix. Um, it's actually really similar to how it works in a regular newspaper. I mean, yeah. maybe not everyone's familiar with that process, but like you have a list and kind of calendar of things that are brewing long term, things that might be ready in two weeks or two days or two hours, um, and then obviously news happens that you completely weren't expecting, and then sometimes you have to do some very fast rejiggering. Um, but generally, we have an idea of longer-term <laughs> stories that we've been working on. In this case, longer-term really means like four to six days mm-hmm. <laughs> since we've just gotten started. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so we have those, and we kind of have a sense of, um, you know, what, what might work today? What might work on a Friday versus on a Monday, right? Like a, a Friday afternoon episode should feel different than a Monday afternoon episode. Um, you know, we, have a, we get in the morning, we have a, a morning meeting first thing where we talk about what, what we're thinking for the day. Um, and then if, that might change, but it's good to go in with a plan. And then um, right as, as soon as the episode gets, goes out every afternoon, we have another meeting where we're like, okay, here's what we're thinking for tomorrow and the day after that. So, are you com- do you do you feel competitive with the daily? Like, if they do something that morning, is that probably something you'll avoid at least leading with that afternoon? Um, I don't think so. I think we're trying to just like think about what people will be wanting to hear about when they're coming out of work. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, the thing that feels like the most pressing story from the night before or that morning by that afternoon has, yeah. has felt old. Um, you know, not just because uh, the daily or whoever has done it, but because like we've been talking about this idea now for 18 hours and yeah. in this current era, 18 hours feels like an eternity. And what about, I mean, I mean, do you worry about, for instance, what's on NPR's afternoon, what's leading their afternoon newscast or, or is that not really part of the calculus that you take into account? To be honest, like we're so busy trying to just put out the episode yeah, every day that like we don't have a ton of time to be like watching like okay who did this who did that who did you know? and it's yeah I think by the time into afternoon we're like this is our plan and we're going with it. Um, Do you um, as doing this and maybe it's too early to ask you this but I'm just curious whether it's changed the way you talk to people in your real life. Not really. I, I think that there are some print reporter habits that I have been having to kick. Like what? <laughs> and I will, <laughs> and, and I'm still in the process of trying to do that. Um, I, honestly, like it's just, 
for, for many years, I've gone into interviews with the complete assumption that nobody's ever going to hear my questions or how I ask my questions or whether or not they make sense to anybody but me yeah. and the interviewee. Um, I think being a little bit more thoughtful in how we're asking questions and also the, the structure of, um, of interviews. I feel like I have, it, I've never put in so much um, thinking just about like, okay, where do we start? Where do we end up? And like, how are we going to, you know, get from here to there in a way that makes sense and has like moments of suspense or surprise or like a revelation somewhere in there? Um, because I think when you're when you're doing print stuff, it's just so easy to be like, OK, one, two, three. Wait, go back to one and a half. Now yeah. we're going to go to five. Wait, I forgot three, but I'll just add that in because you just have so much more control over how um, the interview or how the how the quotes will end up in a story. Um, yeah. Was well, great to talk to you. This this is lovely. I appreciate um, your thoughtful questions. And uh, best of luck to you as you guys go forward. All right, take care. Okay, you Bye. as well. Bye. Bye.